0: Chapter One of Men of Iron This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Men of Iron by Howard Pyle. Chapter One Miles Falworth was but eight years of age at that time, and it was only afterwards, and when he grew old enough to know more of the ins and outs of the matter that he could remember by bits and pieces the things that afterwards happened how one evening a knight came clattering into the courtyard upon a horse red nostril and smeared with the sweat and foam of a desperate ride sir john dale a dear friend of the blind lord even though so young miles knew that something very serious had happened to make sir john so pale and haggard and he dimly remembered leaning against the knight's iron-covered knees, looking up into his gloomy face, and asking him if he was sick to look so strange. Thereupon those who had been too troubled before to notice him, bethought themselves of him, and sent him to bed, rebellious at having to go so early. He remembered how the next morning, looking out of a window high up under the eaves, he saw a great troop of horsemen come riding into the courtyard beneath, where a powdering of snow had whitened everything, and of how the leader, a knight clad in black armor, dismounted and entered the great hall doorway below, followed by several of the band. He remembered how some of the castle women were standing in a frightened group upon the landing of the stairs, talking together in low voices about a matter he did not understand, excepting that the armed men— who had ridden into the courtyard had come for sir john dale none of the women paid any attention to him so shunning their notice he ran off down the winding stairs expecting every moment to be called back again by some one of them a crowd of castle people all very serious and quiet were gathered in the hall where a number of strange men-at-arms lounged upon the benches while two billmen in steel caps and leathern jacks stood guarding the great door, the butts of their weapons resting upon the ground, and the staves crossed, barring the doorway. In the anteroom was the knight in black armor, whom Miles had seen from the window. He was sitting at the table, his great helmet lying upon the bench beside him, and a quart beaker of spiced wine at his elbow. A clerk sat at the other end of the same table, with inkhorn in one hand and pen in the other, and a parchment spread in front of him. Master Robert, the castle steward, stood before the knight, who every now and then put to him a question, which the other would answer, and the clerk write the answer down upon the parchment. His father stood with his back to the fireplace, looking down upon the floor with his blind eyes, his brows drawn moodily together, and the scar of the great wound that he had received at the Tournament of York, the wound that had made him blind, showing red across his forehead, as it always did when he was angered or troubled. There was something about it all that frightened Miles, who crept to his father's side and slid his little hand into the palm that hung limp and inert. In answer to the touch, his father grasped the hand tightly, but did not seem otherwise to notice that he was there. Neither did the black knight pay any attention to him, but continued putting his questions to Master Robert. Then suddenly there was a commotion in the hall without. Loud voices, and a hurrying here and there. The black knight half arose, grasping a heavy iron mace that lay upon the bench beside him. And the next moment Sir John Dale himself, as pale as death, walked into the antechamber. He stopped in the very middle of the room. I yield me to my lord's grace and mercy, said he to the black knight. And they were the last words he ever uttered in this world. The black knight shouted out some words of command, and swinging up the iron mace in his hand, strode forward clanking towards Sir John who raised his arm as though to shield himself from the blow. Two or three of those who stood in the hall without came running into the room with drawn swords and bills, and little Miles, crying out with terror, hid his face in his father's long gown. The next instant came the sound of a heavy blow, and of a groan, then another blow, and the sound of one falling upon the ground, then the clashing of steel, and in the midst— Lord Falworth crying in a dreadful voice, Thou traitor! Thou coward! Thou murderer! Master Robert snatched miles away from his father, and bore him out of the room in spite of his screams and struggles, and he remembered just one instant's sight of Sir John lying still and silent upon his face, and of the black knight standing above him, with the terrible mace in his hand, stained a dreadful red. It was the next day that Lord and Lady Falworth, and little Miles, together with three of the more faithful of their people, left the castle. His memory of past things held a picture for Miles of old Dick and Bowman standing over him in the silence of midnight with a lighted lamp in his hand, and with it a recollection of being bidden to hush when he would have spoken and of being dressed by Dickon and one of the women, bewildered with sleep, shuddering and chattering with cold. He remembered being wrapped in the sheepskin that lay at the foot of his bed, and of being carried in Dickon Bowman's arms down the silent darkness of the winding stairway, with the great black giant shadow swaying and flickering upon the stone wall, as the dull flame of the lamp swayed and flickered in the cold breathing of the night air. Below were his father and mother, and two or three others. A stranger stood warming his hands at a newly made fire, and little Miles, as he peeped from out of the warm sheepskin, saw that he was in riding-boots, and was covered with mud. He did not know, till long years afterwards, that the stranger was a messenger sent by a friend at the king's court, bidding his father fly for safety. They who stood there, by the red blaze of the fire, were all very still, talking in whispers and walking on tiptoes, and Miles's mother hugged him in her arms, sheepskin and all, kissing him, with the tears streaming down her cheeks, and whispering to him, as though he could understand their trouble, that they were about to leave their home for ever. Then Dick and Bowman carried him out into the strangeness of the winter midnight, Outside, beyond the frozen moat, where the Osiers stood stark and stiff in their winter nakedness, was a group of dark figures waiting for them with horses. In the pallid moonlight Miles recognized the well-known face of Father Edward, the Prior of St. Mary's. After that came a long ride through that silent night upon the saddle-bow in front of Dick and Bowman, then a deep, heavy sleep that fell upon him in spite of the galloping horses. When next he woke, the sun was shining, and his home and his whole life were changed. Chapter One